You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Listen, we win in Christ. If you're born again, we win in Christ. Christ. Listen, I want you to tag a friend, let them know that we're live today. It's going to be a blessing. You can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And listen, at the end of the session, I want you to do two things. I want you to, or during the session, I want you to send me your comments, your questions. I got my iPad here and I'll answer your questions. I'll communicate your comments at the end of the teaching. And listen, I want you to share it. Second thing, I want you to share it. Just push that share button and share these insights with other people. I believe it's going to be a blessing. Uh, For the last two weeks, I've been teaching a three-lesson series, and this is our third and final lesson, entitled Passing the Storm Test. Passing the Storm Test. The theme of this series is God's willingness and God's ability to safely carry and walk his people through the storms of life. I believe that God wants us to make it on the other side of the storm. Now, In lesson one, we talked about the different kinds of storms, and we talked about why storms come, and we talked about what we should do when we find ourselves in a storm. In our last lesson, in lesson two, we talked about doubt, and we talked about doubt being the greatest challenge to us making it through the storm. Now, today, in this a third and final session. I want to talk about the parable of the two builders. This is one of my favorite parables, the parable of the two builders. And, And this parable is recorded in Matthew chapter seven and in Luke chapter six. And we're going to look at both accounts of this parable of the two builders. So let's begin and let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. That's Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, the NIV translation. Listen to it. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them in practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams arose, rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, 
the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. That's Matthew 7, 24 through 27 of the NIV translation. So we have this parable recorded in Matthew chapter 7 of the two builders. Let's summarize what we read to you from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, this parable of the two builders tells us several things. Number one, two builders, there were two builders who each built a house. Two builders who each built a house. Now, as you relate your this parable to your own personal life, remember it applies to you on a personal level. And every person, every individual has five basic needs, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, social, and financial. So evaluate the parable and make your house, in other words, your life is the parable. Think about that. Or if you're a student, think about it in, in relations to your student career, your student life. And if you're in the employment field, your career, uh, your business, or if you're a minister, I want you to think about it. And, and I've often shared this parable with pastors. So we have two builders who each built a house. Secondly, one builder was a wise builder, the parable tells us, who built his house on the rock. The other builder was a foolish builder. The foolish builder built his house on sand. A strong storm came against both houses, came against the wise builder's house, came against the foolish builder's house, the same storm. Now, notice it says that a storm came. It, it says that the rain uh, came down and the streams rose and the wind beat and blew against each house, both houses. Now, watch this. The wise builder's house was built on a rock. And it stood the test of the storm. The foolish builder's house was built on the sand, and it fell with a great crash. So we've got to look at both the foolish builder, and then we have to look at the wise builder, and you have to evaluate whether you are a foolish builder or a wise builder. Let's talk about the foolish builder. Who is the foolish builder. The foolish builder is a Christian, is a Christian. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. We're not talking about the ungodly. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about the unsaved. We're not talking about what we call sinners. We're talking about believers. We're talking about Christians. So the foolish builder are Christians who hear God's word, but don't put into practice what they hear. Christians who hear God's word, but don't put into practice what they hear. In other words, the foolish 
builder, builders are Christians who are hearers only. Now, James 1, 22, James 1, verse 22, talks about this builder. Notice what it says in the King James Version. It says, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, I like it. I like what it says in the NIV translation, James 1, 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Now, in my studies, I discovered that the words, be ye doers of the word, is in the Greek present tense, and it may be rendered continue being doers. Now, that's going to be very important. Continue, the Greek present tense, be ye doers, can be rendered continue to be doers. Now, the implication now is that these individuals hear and begin to do, but at some point they stop doing. Now, here's, here's some, uh, a, a statistic that, that I think is just outstanding. 75, we're talking about the foolish builder, 75% of Christians who hear the word will live unproductive and unfruitful lives. Now, that's not good news. That's not good news, but it is a Bible reality. 75% of Christians who hear the word will ultimately and eventually live an unproductive, unfruitful life. Now, where did you get that from? Where did you get that statistic from? Mark chapter 4, verses 14 through 20, we have the interpretation of the parable of the sower. Jesus told this parable, and he said that a farmer or sower went out to sow or plant seed. Some seed fell by the wayside. That's one group. Other seed fell on stony ground. Other seed fell on thorny ground. And then finally, some seed fell on good ground. Now, if you studied the parable of the sower and the interpretation in verses 14, Mark 4, 14 through 20, you will see that three-fourths of the people who hear the word will not benefit from it. Three-fourths. And if you read the, that parable, each one heard the word. The wayside here heard the word. The stony ground here heard the word. The thorny ground here heard the word. And, they, and the scripture clearly says that they didn't bring forth fruit. Now, hearing only leads to self-deception. And there are so many Christians who sit under the word week in and week out and even sit in good churches where they're being taught the word and they sit in week in and week out and yet 
not live productive lives. Now, now I know that that may sound critical, but I'm not I'm not teaching this to be critical or put down or to, to push you in the ground. No, no, no. I'm teaching you this so that you can be a, a good ground hearer. Now, listen, hearing only leads to self-deception. And they're Christians. They can't understand. They can't figure it out. They, you know, they, they just don't understand it. I sit in church all the time. I heard what Pastor Mike said, and I'm consistent in, in hearing, but hearing only will lead to self-deception. Self-deception is a very tragic thing because a self-deceived person, that's not Satan, that's a self-deceived person, thinks they're doing what they're not doing. Now, so we know who the foolish builder is. It is a Christian who hears the word but does not put it into practice. So what is the saying? So what is this person building their life on? The scripture says they're building their life on sand. So what is the sand? Sand would include intellectualism. And you see, Christians, maybe they've gone to seminary, they've gone to Bible school, and they can exegete the word, and they can interpret this, and they know the Greek this, and the strong concordia, and they know all these different things, the intellectual theories, but that's saying. Some are building their, their lives on emotionalism, these are the feelings here. They like, like my mother told me, she, you know, before she joined our church, and, and the only reason she joined, now she's in heaven now, the only reason she joined our church is because my grandkids came along and she wanted to be with the grandkids. But she told me, she said, well, you know, Mike, I like, I like you. And, and she was my number one fan. So that was an understatement. I, you know, I just like a little gravy. So she, she wanted some, she wanted some energy. And I guess I I didn't have enough energy, enough to fire for her. She liked that little hoop going on. And I'm not criticizing hooping, especially, and that's a, for those who don't know what that is, it's a black tradition uh, where ministers have a melodic kind of rhythmic kind of almost singing kind of harming kind of the scriptures. And so some are very good at that. Uh, it, it's effective, especially if you're saying something. But she liked, I think she liked the emotionalism that was connected in. So you got so many Christians, they're building their lives on how they feel. They just enjoyed the service. They, they had a good time at church. But if you evaluate what they learned, they don't know what they learned, can't, can't regurgitate, can't communicate what they learned. So they're building their houses on and their life on how they feel. You know, I had a good time. We had a great time at church. Some are building their lives on money, building their lives on their job, and, and they're building their lives on education. 
They're building their lives off self-effort, human logic, human ingenuity. Some are building their lives on common sense, human. And, you know, a lot of people are building their lives off their reputation and their social connections. I know this person. You know, I know this. I know the governor. I know the mayor. I know the president. They're building their success on their social connections. Some are building their lives on human relations human relationships, you know, they got these people that they're connected to and they love and all that. And that's why sometimes after people die, people become suicidal. And sometimes people are suicidal because their life was built on the person. Nothing wrong with loving people. We should have good relationship. God wants us to have good relationship, but he doesn't want us to build our life, our reason for living on people. Some are building their lives on their experience. I've been trained here and I know how to do this. Others are building their lives on other folk experience. Uh, some are building their lives on uh, religious experience. This happened to me and I felt this and I, I saw an angel. They're building their lives on religious experiences. Some are building their lives off religious practices. You know, every morning I get up, I do my quiet time, um, you know, and I pray uh, for a few minutes to God and, and they just kind of building their lives and, and others are building their lives off hearsay. You know, well, what you going to do? You know, this is what I heard. You know, I heard this and I heard that, you know, I heard this about the church. I heard that. So they're building their lives. Others are building their lives off the crowd mentality. What you going to do? You going to do, you going to join, you going to go. I'm going to go if you go. So they're building their lives. A lot of times people join churches and they connect to ministries because this person decided to do something. You going to join the church? Well, I'm going to join the church. And you leaving the church? Well, I'm going to leave the church. So they're building their lives off of the what I call the crowd mentality. Now, I listed several things. That was an exhaustive list. But all of the above things, the factors, the things that I talked about, emotionalism, uh, intellectualism, social connections, human relationships, all of these things will collapse under the pressure of a storm. All of it will collapse. The storm exposes the true nature of the foundation. And uh, nobody wants to go through a storm. I pray you don't ever go through one, but you're going to have storms. All of us are going to have some kind of storm in our lives because we're in a fallen world. Satan is, is running around. Demons are in this earth. Humans who are not submitted to God are in this earth, and then we make mistakes. So we're going to experience some challenges, and that's what a storm is a metaphor for, difficulties and challenges. Jesus never promised we were not going to have challenges, so we're going to have challenges. But the, the, the storm, I want you to listen to me, the storm exposes the true nature of our foundation Really, both houses in the parable stood 
and probably looked beautiful from the outside, but it was the storm that exposed the true nature of the foundation. I'll put it like this. You don't know what you really believe until you have entered a storm. I'll say that again. You don't know what you really believe until you've entered the storm because the storm exposes the nature of the foundation. Remember one house did not fall. The other house fell with a crash. Well, the storm came to both houses, but the storm exposed the true nature of the foundation. So let's look at the wise builder. And I want to now read from the account of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 47 in the NIV translation. And remember, uh, remember uh, Matthew 7 is a record of the parable of the two builders. Luke 6 is a record of the parable of the two builders. So now in looking at the wise builder, I want to look at Luke's account, Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 47 in the NIV translation. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, and put them into practice, I will show you what they are like. I will show you what they are like. Now, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to read this again in the King James Version. But right away, we see who the wise builder is. Who are wise builders? Wise builders are Christians. Remember, the parable is about Christians. Wise builders are Christians who put into practice God's word as they learn it. You, you can't put into practice something you don't know. The wise builders are Christians who put into practice God's word as they learn it. Wise builders are Christians who apply God's word to their daily lives, their daily situations, and their daily circumstances. Now, with that in mind, and we're not, we're not finished because we got to look at the foundation of the wise builder. The foolish builder's foundation was sand. But we have to look at the foundation of the wise builder. So with what I've said so far, the foolish builder is a Christian who hear but do not put into practice. The wise builder is a Christian who put into practice God's word as he or she learns it. Wise builders are Christians who apply God's word in their daily lives, 
their daily situations and their daily circumstances. So without going any further, we're not finished, but without going any further, are you a wise builder or are you a foolish builder? Are you a wise builder or are you a foolish builder? Now listen at this. Not practicing, and I want you to make a note of this, not practicing what you hear is no different than not hearing. Not practicing what you hear is no different than not hearing at all. Now, you, you have many Christians, or maybe I should say some Christians, they say, you know, I'm in a good church, and, and you know, I go to a word church, I, or I go to a teaching church, and that's Wonderful, because if you go to a church, a local church that walks you through the scriptures, teaches you the word, explain how to apply it in your life, then that's great. That is wonderful. It gives you an advantage. But just hearing, attending consistently is something you should do. But just hearing, and then when you get back to your everyday life, your everyday situations, and your everyday circumstances, and you do not practice what you heard at your good church, then your hearing is no different than being in a church where you're not taught anything or is no different than not hearing the word at all. So what is the rock? What is the rock? They, this wise builder, the Bible says that he or she dug deep and built the foundation on a rock. So what is the rock? I want to read Luke 6, 47 through 48 the A part of verse 48 in the King James Version. And then we're going to see what this rock is. Whosoever, verse 47, Luke 6, 47, whosoever comes to me, cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he's like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep. That's a lot of effort and laid the foundation on a rock. And when, not if, but when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. And I, I, I can't tell you how many pastors that I've shared this parable with, and I asked them, and now I'm asking you, okay, what's the rock? We know that the house stood because of the rock. It was the rock. It was the rock. It was the rock foundation. But what is the rock? Take a moment and think about that. I want you to think about it for a moment. And then I want you to answer to yourself, okay? What is the rock? This is your test. And I want you to answer to yourself, what is the rock? What? is the rock. Now, I'm going to give you a few seconds. I want you to answer to yourself what you think the rock is. What do you think the rock? Okay, you got your answer? Now, listen. 
The rock is not salvation. So if that's what you said, you missed it. The rock is not Jesus. So if that's what you said, the rock is not water baptism. The rock is not church membership. If that's what you said, you didn't do well on this test. The rock is not being a good person. It is not being a good person because we know and we've seen Christians who have crashed and burned. We've seen Christians who have Jesus crash and burn. We've seen Christians who were members of churches and were water baptized and served in the church, and yet in their lives they came up against a storm and they were devastated by the storm. We know Christians like that. We know Christians who are good people, were good people, but when challenges came out, Christians sometimes had nervous breakdowns. Christians sometimes became disillusions. Christians quit church. They quit going to church. They quit reading the Bible. They were just devastated by the storm. So we know that the rock is not being born again. The rock is not Jesus. The rock is not water baptism. The rock is not church membership. The rock is not serving in the church. All these things you should do. Not being a good person, you should be a good person. The rock is revealed in verse 47. Whosoever comes to me, hear my sayings and do them. Come to Jesus, hear what he has to say, and does what he says. That's the rock. Come, hear, do. Come, hear, do. Come, hear, do. That's the rock. That's the foundation. That's the rock foundation. Come, hear, do. But notice it says commit, which means present tense continuing. You're constantly going to him. You're constantly hearing what he has to say about a matter. And then you're consistently, constantly practicing, acting out on what he tells you to do. Now, let's look at these three layers, these three layers. And I got my pad, so if you have any questions or comments, I want you to give me your questions or your comments. Let's look at come to Jesus. Come to him, which, and this is a Christian, so we know this person already born again. Come to Jesus means to look to and trust him for directions, to look to, trust him for directions, to rely on his wisdom, rely on his power. So you're in a storm, you're in a situation, you're in a challenge, you're in a difficulty, you come to him, you look to him, you trust him for direction, you rely on his wisdom, you rely on his power. Now, Coming to Jesus, and I said this recently at a funeral, coming to Jesus implies that Jesus is not the only option. You can go to other people, and sometimes it's good to go to other people for advice. You can go to yourself 
and they're all kind of self-help books on in the bookstores. Or you can go to things. Things. You can go to things. Some of those things are counterproductive. Alcohol and drugs and sex. And, and some people even go to business, you know, to try to make it through the storm. I'm just going to get real busy. You know, I'll try to get my mind off of it. I'm going to stay real active to get my mind off it. That's going to a thing to make it through the storm. Now, the challenge with going to Jesus, the challenge that's going to Jesus Uh, For direction, Isaiah 55 says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. So the challenge with going to Jesus is that often to trust Jesus for direction, we're going to have to go against the stream. We're going to have to go against conservative wisdom, human understanding, common sense. Because there are times what he instructs us to do will not make sense. It will not be common sense. It will not be the way that people normally deal with the situation. For example, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2 through 4, God instructed Moses to pick up this snake by the tail. Well, that's not common sense. That's not the way people normally do things. You don't pick up a snake by the tail. You pick up the snake by the back of the neck. If you pick up the snake by the tail, the snake can wrap around and bite you. But Moses did what God told. He picked the snake up by the tail and it turned into a rod. Now, the Bible also says in 1 Kings 17, God instructed Elijah to go to a brook during a drought, and the ravens was going to bring him food in the morning and evening. That that didn't make sense. The birds going to bring you food? He also instructed him to go to a, a Gentile city, Zarephath, and a widow woman would feed him. Well, that instruction did not make sense. Then he instructed the widow woman to give the prophet a little of what she had left, and she didn't have a whole lot left. That didn't make sense. So oftentimes, when we go to Jesus, the problem we'll face is his wisdom is not conventional wisdom. Now, you know, and I said this in last in our last session, you know you're being processed by Satan when you feel you will lose out by obeying God. You know that you're being processed by Satan when you believe that you will lose out by obeying God. So we come to Jesus. That's the rock. And, 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 you know, when our 
would talk to pastors, I would ask them, I'll sit a chair out in front of them, and I said, this is Jesus. And I said, now, the key to success is that we go to Jesus for direction about our church. It's his church. It's not our church. So we can come up with all these creative ideas and all this other stuff, but Jesus is the head of the church. We're under shepherds. We're stewards. We're, we, the church doesn't belong to us. The people doesn't belong to us. So we have to go to him for the vision, go to him for how to do this, and go to him and talk to him. But secondly, we have to hear what he has to say, heareth my sayings. So the question I ask you in this second step, go to him, number one. Hear what he has to say. Number two, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of your circumstances, the voice of your emotions, what you feel, the voice of people, the voice of your personal ambition, the voice of your need, the pressure? Whose voice are you listening to, you know, at every point in my journey, and I, I'm a pastor and a teacher, and at every point in my journey as a pastor, as a teacher, as a husband, as a father, at every place where I've come up short, and that's what failure is, coming up short, I was listening to the wrong voice. I, God has never instructed me to do something, and I've obeyed him, and I failed at it. Not, no, when I evaluate the times that I came up short, if I wasn't hearing his voice, it was not his voice that I was listening to. So why are Christians not hearing God? I give you three reasons because we got to come to hear him, hear him. I'm going to give you three reasons. Evaluate yourself. Why are not Christians hearing God? Number one, because they're settling for good substitutes. They're settling for good substitutes. Now, what I'm going to say is going to sound contradictory. And some of you going to really flip out. But let me finish. Let me finish. And then you understand why I'm saying it. Some of us, we don't go to Jesus and hear what he has to say. We just read books. We just read good books. And mind you, I love books. I got books now that I'm reading, and I buy books to read, and I got hundreds of books in my library at home, hundreds. I am a book reader. But I think that many Christians are, well, some Christians are not hearing what God has to say because they're, they're running not to God, they're running to books. They're running to religious broadcasts. 
They listen to this broadcast, that broadcast, that broadcast, this broadcast, that broadcast, that broadcast, that broadcast, that broadcast. And so they get all this information coming at them. They just got all this, what this teacher says and that apostle says and that prophet says and this and that and that and this and that and that. And they got all this, and they're trying to weed through it all and hear what God has to say. Some, uh, they, they, the only time they hear uh, is at a religious service or a church service. Uh, they, they, they. Uh, it's a testimony that they heard. So and so did this, and and I'm gonna do this, and um, they're selling for good substitutes, counseling. You know what the counselor said, what the this person said, uh, seminars, or uh, you know, and and now listen, listen, so you don't flip out on me. All the things that I said are good things. I read books. I listen to religious broadcasts. I, I'm consistent in religious services. I go to seminars from time to time. I listen to sermons. So I'm not saying that these things are wrong. I'm saying that all these good things that we should be doing should support but not substitute our own personal relationship with the word and our own personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. I believe that we should have a personal relationship. I believe that we should spend time talking to God for ourselves on a consistent basis. I believe that we should spend time reading the Word of God, the Bible for ourselves. Many Christians don't ever read the Bible. They don't ever read the Bible. So here's my belief on it. When you reading books should be a confirmation to what God is saying to you. It should build on what God is saying to you because there's so many voices. You know, you got this prophet thinks this and this pastor thinks this and, and this teacher thinks this. So, and I'm not saying it's wrong because I'm a prophet, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, so I'm not saying it wrong, but you should spend time with God on a personal level, you should talk to him. You should pray in the spirit. You should go through the Bible so that you will know what they, us, them are saying. The book you're reading, is it the truth? How do you know that it's the truth? If you don't ever read the Bible for yourself, the Bible says in Acts 17, verse 11, that the Bereans were more noble than another group of believers. The Bible says in Acts 17, verse 11, that the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not what Paul and Silas were saying was true. They wanted to, they listened to Paul. So I'm not saying don't listen to the prophet, don't listen to the teacher, don't listen to the broadcast, don't read the book. I am not saying that. 
I am saying that they search the scriptures themselves to see whether or not see whether Paul and Silas was telling them the truth. And that was the great apostle Paul. He authored three-fourths of the New Testament. And they didn't just take the word because Paul said it. You shouldn't just take the word because Pastor Mike said it or Prophet so-and-so said it. You should spend time in the word yourself so you will know whether or not I am telling you the truth or apostle is telling you, the prophet is telling you, or the book is telling you. You won't know whether it's true if you don't spend time. So some Christians are not hearing God because of good substitutes for their own relationship with God. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, I got my iPad here. If you think that I've said something against what you believe, right, send it to me so I can try to explain it better to you. Why are Christians not hearing God? Because they, they are looking for the spectacular. They want a dream. They want a vision. They want an angel. They want somebody to prophesy over them. They want to hear with their physical ears. They're waiting to hear words. Okay? Listen, I'm a, I stand in the office of a prophet, so God often speaks to me in the night seasons. You would call it a dream. I think it's a night vision. I see things. I hear things while I'm asleep, okay? So I'm not putting that down. But that's not the primary way that God speaks to us. I don't get a night vision every night or every week. You know, God, as he wills, reveals certain things to me. God primarily speaks to us through the inward witness the spirit bears witness with our spirits. The candle of the Lord, the, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. That's Proverbs 20, 27, your spirit. God primarily speaks to you in your spirit. And there'll be times when you have peace in your spirit. There's a lift in your spirit. There's a joy in your spirit. There's a liberty in your spirit. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, just a green light. You can tell when somebody is preaching or when the book is, is, is ministering to you. Look down here and see whether or not your spirit is agreeing with that. And then other times there's a check in our spirit. It's an uneasiness. It's a discomfort. Uh, something is not right. Listen to you down on the inside. Don't just look for the spectacular. If God gives you a dream or vision or angel, welcome that. But then qualify the visitation by the scripture. God is never going to do something outside of the scriptures. So while Christians not hearing God, they're settling for good substitutes. They're looking for the spectacular and Christians are not hearing God because they're too busy. They're just too busy. They doing this, they doing that, they doing this and they throw a God in there for in between the commercials and they're, they're, they, they got their 10 minute quiet time, their five minute quiet time and the rest of the time they just going like this. They're going like this. They read their devotion for about five minutes, and then they're going they're just like this. They're moving all the time, and so they don't have any quiet space where God can speak through them, through their Bible reading, their prayer time. They don't have any quiet space. 
And, and listen, if you're really busy, too busy to take time to spend out time with God, and it's not like you've got to spend hours, long buckets of time, but you need to be consistent, have a consistent time, maybe 30 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, but it's a consistent time where you get before God, you're reading your script through the Word of God, you're praying, you're talking to Him, you're listening. If you do that consistent, you will hear God must come, must hear God, and remember, getting the mind of God is critical. Getting the mind of God is critical. So I come to Jesus, hear what he says, and do it. Now, let's, let's close out by talking about doing. And I, I, I got some, a couple of questions. I got a comment there. So you can send them in right now. You can send them in right now. Jesus says... Whosoever comes to me, we talked about coming to Jesus, hear my sayings, we talked about hearing, and do with them. Jesus said, do what I say, do with them. Now, let's talk about that. The discipline, and and, and I just got a few moments to share this, but it's going to be so very important and so very powerful and maybe a little repetition, but I got three major things that I want to say. The discipline to practice the word, to do the word, to act out on the word in the storm is the key. Okay, now I'm going to say that again. The discipline to practice the word in the storm is the key. Now, let's look at that. Look at that statement. The discipline. The discipline. It's going to take discipline. And you ask the Holy Spirit to to give you the grace. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength. Because when you're in a storm, you're seeing everything. and, 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 And when you're in a storm, you're seeing negativity. You're seeing the negative circumstances. This is not going right. This person died or, or the finance is not right. The marriage is not right. Job not right. This, it, when you're in a storm, nothing is right, okay? Not only are you seeing negative, adverse situations and circumstances, you're feeling it. When you're in a storm, your emotions are all over the place. Your emotions are all over the place. You can be up and down and in and out. You feel great, feel terrible. Your emotions, you feel hopeful, feel hopeless. I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. So the discipline to practice the word in the storm, and it's going to require this discipline, is the key. Now, here's the second point. He says you have to do it. You have to do it in the storm. Here's the second thing. Don't do what is the natural thing to do or the natural response. Don't do 
when you're in a storm, you can't do the natural thing to do. You can't do, you can't engage your natural response. Your, your natural response may be to curse. Your natural response may be to give up. Your natural response may be to tell somebody off. Your natural response may uh, to fight. Your natural response, you, 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 you do not do the natural thing or the natural response, okay? The natural response. If you're in a tight place, oh, you're just tight financially. Your natural response, and now remember, I'm not taking up an offer. I'm just telling you how it works. Your natural response when things are tight to be tight. When things are tight in your life, the natural response is to be tight. When really the thing that you should be doing when things are tight is finding ways and praying for ways and praying for seed to sow because that's not natural. The natural thing, okay, in, in a deaf situation, the natural response is to grieve and to be sad and to pull the blinds down in the house and to sit in a dark room. But what the scripture says, joyful morning, the scripture says in Isaiah 61 that the cure for mourning is joy. So some time people think, well, that's sacrilegious for me to, to, to be joyful or to laugh or whatever. No. So that's why at funerals, we try to pray, play upbeat songs. The Bible says the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It says joyful morning. So when we normally in our services, we try to have upbeat songs, not because we're insensitive, but we're trying to act on the word because the natural response is to sing a sad song and to be sad and give sad testimonies and all that. So that's acting naturally. For example, if you have an enemy, you got an enemy and that person is coming against you and trying to undermine you and all this crazy stuff. The natural response is to go back at them, to punish them, to hurt them, to to. And I've seen Christians, oh Lord, and, and I got I'm all, I got to finish. But I've seen Christians that go through divorces, Christians, saved, spirit filled Christians, and they go at each other, and they're mean at each other, and they're mean in court, and they try to hurt the other person, and they try to uh, destroy the other person, and they tell lies on each other and stuff like that. That's the wrong response in the storm. The Bible says to love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those that despitefully use you. That's what I mean. Don't do what is the natural thing to do or the natural response. And then here's the third thing. Jesus said do it. It is the practice. This is my last statement. It is the practice of the word in the storm that gives the believers the capacity to stay on top and not drown. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus was walking on the water. Peter said, now, if, 
if that's really you, I want to walk on the water. Jesus said, come, come, come. Now watch this. And Peter got out of the boat, and the Bible says he started walking on the water. He's walking on top of the water. But then it said, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he got his focus off. And you know what I believe happened? He stopped walking. He stopped walking. He stopped doing what he was doing in the storm. It's doing the word in the storm that keeps you on top and keeps you from drowning. Now, I want to say that again. It's doing what the word says in the storm in it. You got to do it in the storm that keeps you on top. It gives you the capacity to stay on top of the storm, on top of the water and not drown. Now, this concludes my three lessons. I want you to go back, listen to those lessons. I believe that God is helping somebody in the present but I also believe that God is Jehovah Jireh. He sees ahead. He provides. He's given us three lessons to prepare us for any storm that we will face in life. I want you to keep these lessons before you. Now, as I close, I got some comments and I got some questions. Comments. The first comment, sometimes storms can make you stronger. Now, I, I'm glad that I'm glad, so glad you said that because I got to qualify that because so many people say, I hear people all the time say, well, you know, storms make us stronger. You know, we'll be stronger. Okay, let's qualify it. Let's qualify it because that, that there, it, that's a partial truth to it, but there's an untruth to it. Okay, now listen at this. Storms don't make us stronger. Storms will drown you, okay? If you practice the word in the storm and you get on the other side of that thing, you're stronger, okay? It was not the storm. It was not the storm because the storm came to both of these houses. It's not the storm. It's what you do in the storm that makes you stronger on the other side. So if you don't practice the word in the storm, you're not going to be stronger. You're going to be weaker. In fact, you're going to talk about how this happened to you and you didn't make this and God didn't come through for you. You're not going to be stronger. You're not going to be stronger. But if you practice that word in that storm, God going to see you through it. I promise you, he's going to see you through that and you're going to be on the other side of it and you ain't going to have no burn spots on you at all. Okay, now you're stronger because, you know, you got history. You got a track record. You know, I don't care what the devil throws at me. I'm going to make it right now. You're stronger. You got more confidence. Why? Because you've been through it. God took you through it. You stood on God's word. You went through it. It's not the storm. It's what you do in the storm. That's a good course comment. Question. My voice that I'm listening to is telling me to continue coming to church through the internet because of health reasons. Some said that my faith is shaken. What do you think, Pastor? Listen, 
Listen, let me tell you something about that. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you brought that up. Here's what I think. I, the, the scripture says, according to your faith, be it unto you. I think Christians need to stop criticizing folk for what they believe. I think we need to leave people alone. I think we should have our own conviction. We should stand on the word. So this is how I approach this church thing, this vaccine thing. Listen, people got different, people are at different levels spiritually, but people got different issues in their lives. They got different issues in their body. It is their responsibility to pray Try to get the mind of God on what they should do and then do it. Okay. And if a person have a conviction to take the vaccine, we're going to say praise the Lord for you. If a person have a conviction to not take it, they think for whatever reasons they have, we're not going to criticize that person. We don't know what's going on in the life of that person. We're going to shut up. We're not going to try to put our conviction on somebody else. And that's true of church. We're going back to church in August. I believe that a lot of people are going to come to church. I believe some people may feel uncomfortable coming to church and they're going to watch online. Listen, I don't have a problem one way or the other. I think you need to do what you feel led to do. I think there should be no judgment. And if this is your conviction that you're going to continue online, continue online, and hopefully the day will come where you'll feel comfortable and then you can come into the sanctuary. That's my feelings. So, so, uh, uh, you say you have health reasons, then you know your body, you know your situation by other folk. Let what they think just slide across your show. Don't even give no attention to what other people are thinking because it's not their life. Uh, question, Pastor Mike, when you came up short, how did you determine that you had not heard God's voice? Well, I went back. That's a great question. I went back and I, 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 I was trying to figure out, I can give you illustration, but I won't, I won't give you illustration. Well, I'll give you illustration. I'll give you illustration. We were uh, trying to, uh, uh, we were trying to do a good thing. We purchased a hospital and we were going to re- finish the hospital and do all that stuff. And, and, and it was something in my heart to do. It was a good thing. I felt like I got good advice on it. And we got in that thing. And it was just a lot of things going on. Now, I've had challenges going on and the money wasn't quite there. There was some money. Now we, we were in two major projects at the same time. It was two major things at the same time. And uh, now we've got to have resources for this and we got to have resources for this. And so I began to try to find out what God has said to me, because I keep a journal. I, 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 I keep what God tells me, and I couldn't find anything where he had specifically said this to me. And, and so I knew 
that I personally had moved out on a good thing, but I didn't have a word to stand on. Now, the opposite is true when it came to the dome. We, we, we have a 3,000 seat dome sanctuary that comfortably seats 3,000 people. It's called $16 million paid for debt free. Okay. We had challenges in that too. But the difference is I, I, I had where God had instructed me to do it. I knew. I had it down. I had the dates down. He told me to do it. He told me how big it was. He told me how to finance it. So when we hit tough spots, uh, delays and this and that, and, and we never saw all the money, I could hang steady in the storm because I knew what God said. In this other situation, I didn't have anything that God had said. So I, 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 it was difficult to hold my course because I didn't have a revelation on what I was doing, even though it was a, my motive was right, the thing was right, the advice I thought got, I got was good advice. So it wasn't like there were some bad people and they did this. It was none of that. It was none of that, okay? I feel that I just missed God. And maybe it was the timing. Uh, pastor Mike, is it safe to say a younger convert should listen to his pastor until they are mature enough to properly digest someone else's spiritual food? Everyone isn't teaching the same thing, which could potentially confuse the younger convert. Now, I'm going to read that question again because that is a question from a mature person. Whoever sent that question in is, a, I, I think, a thinking person. Uh, Pastor Mike, um, I, I, that second question about you having medical health reasons and some said my faith is shaken. For some reason, I just want to reiterate, don't let other people tell you where your faith is. I want to just say that again. Don't don't let other people determine what you can do and what you can't do with your faith. Don't 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 listen to that. Okay. Fourth question, Pastor Mike, is it safe to say a younger convert should listen to his pastor until they mature enough to properly digest someone else's spiritual food? Everyone isn't teaching the same thing, which could potentially confuse the young convert. Now, that question is a million-dollar question. That one is a million-dollar question. I think I, I, I'm, I'm really in agreement with that. I'm really in agreement with that. Now, let me explain it, because I know some of you may differ with me on that. I think that it's important for people to pray and discern who their pastor is. And I believe it's important to join that church and get connected to that church. And I personally believe if you are a young believer, the predominant teaching and insight and wisdom should come from your pastor. I really do. Um, uh, I, th there was a member of my church. There is a member of my church who for years, now listen at me, for years, 
He only listened to me. Now, before you get flaky on me, I never taught that. I never told people, you just listen to me. Don't listen to nobody else. You know, I you know, I felt like God put apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in the body to build up the body. So I never thought I should be the only voice my, my members heard. He felt, and I agree with him, he's learning. He's trying to learn this thing. He's trying to understand this thing. So he decided that he only listened. He didn't listen to everybody else. He only listened. And at this time in his life, he listened to other people and all that kind of stuff. But really, I agree with you. The challenge in pastoring today, and I would tell any pastor and any person who talked to me about it, the challenge that pastors have today, well, maybe they've always had, we've always had this challenge, but primarily in a social media age is that there are many voices. There are so many pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers, and we are not all saying the same thing. So for a young believer, a new believer, it can be extremely confusing, extremely confusing, and that's why I think people should pray about their church, get in a good church uh, where you taught the word and lock into what your pastor. And I'm not just talking about me. Lock into what your pastor teaching because that's where God sent you. God told you to go there. So naturally, he want you to feed primarily on your pastor as you get your feet under you. So when you get your feet under you, then you can discern from this and you can distinguish this. So I think that's a great question. And I am in agreement with that question that was get here. The last one, a comment I have. Thank you, Pastor, for reminding your church what we need to continue to do. I'm going to always be reminding you uh, repetition is the key to learning. Some people, they always want to hear something new, but I've discovered that the things in my personal life that really is a part of my life is what I saw and what I heard my parents do and say over and over and over and over. And Peter, in his letters to the church, said, I would not be negligent to put you in remembrance of the things that you have already heard. Peter says, I'm going to put you in remembrance of those things, even though you've already heard them. So I realize that people need to hear and hear and hear uh, over and over and over. Uh, There's a lesson on healing that I have listened to. The same lesson on healing, I listened to it all through the pandemic. The same sermon. The, the same one. And whenever I want to feed my faith on that, I go to that same sermon on healing because it just reinforces what I've heard and it builds it down in me. Listen, I've got to close this out. I trust that it's been a blessing to you. You've been a good audience. We'll start something new next week. I love you. Great questions. And I pray God's ble- richest blessings be yours in Jesus' name. 